Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson CFP is sending everybody to their local Social Security office and to their spreadsheets because that's his idea of a good time. Not really, but he will be tackling your questions on making the most of your Social Security benefits, what happened to the annual projections for people on restricted applications, and using a revocable trust to protect assets from Medicaid. Then later in the show, Big Al Clopine CPA will come in off the golf course and join us to answer some of your Roth IRA conversion questions. I'm producer Andy Last, and if you've got a burning money question, comment, or suggestion, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, scroll down, and click Ask Joe and Al on air. Let's get started with a challenge to the very common advice to wait until age 70 to take Social Security. We got Matt from Minnesota. Don't you know? I was just there, the homeland. That's where I'm from, born and raised. Shout out to Ruthie. Yes. Hi, Joe, Al, Andy. I'm from Minnesota. Hi, Joe. Hello, Matt. And I'm trying to understand the numbers behind taking Social Security at different ages. It seems like every time I see this, they ignore the fact that this money will replace pulling money from equity accounts or that you might not use the money. I'm an engineer, and yes, I have a spreadsheet. Assuming a base Social Security payment at 62 of $1,000 per year. Is that 10000 or $1,000 per year? That is 1000 it says one thousand. Okay, he's just using that as an example. All right, thousand dollars per year, um, with about a twenty-eight percent tax rate. I would net about seven hundred twenty dollars if I don't spend that money and invest it, and get even a modest two point eight percent return. I would have eight k by age seventy-two. Now, comparing that to the eight percent increase in payment per year, I would get thirteen hundred dollars after taxes. At this point, my 8K is kicking off another $150 a year to add to my uh, 720 for about 870 a year compared to the 1300 But it still will take until I'm 90 years old for that extra $430 a year to catch up to the 8K. I made by taking my Social Security early. Uh, this is with a 2.8% return for my investment. With a 4.6%, my break-even is 100 years old. 55 it's 110 years. Now you can argue that you'll be spending this money, but that spend is the same as leaving the equivalent amount to grow in existing accounts. So it's basically the same thing. What am I missing? Why do so many people recommend waiting till max benefit at age 70? Been binging your old podcast for a few weeks now and have been enjoying the ride. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Matt. Okay, so Matt, I, I totally I, I understand what you're doing and I agree with you 100%. So you're looking at it is that if I take it at 62 and invest it, I'm going to have more money. And it all depends on the assumptions that you make. And you've made very conservative assumptions and you found a break even of age 90 at a 2.8% rate of return. For the listeners, what he's doing is saying, hey, you know, I'm going to claim those benefits early. I'm not spending the benefits. I'm going to invest those benefits. And then I'm going to look at the total investments over my lifetime and what's going to give me more out of the system. Take it early, take that money and invest it at a conservative rate. And what's my break even? Yes, it depends on those rates and, and how conservative or how aggressive that you want to be. It's going to make sense to do that. How I look at it, however, and I think how other financial planners look at it, is that most people need the money to live off of, and it's a guaranteed income for the rest of their life, and it's longevity insurance. 
if everyone had the discipline like you do, Matt, and I know that you're very disciplined because you are from the great state of Minnesota and you are an engineer and you've done the spreadsheets and you've ran the numbers and you're a very educated person. So yes, this strategy is going to work for you. You're going to take it early. You're going to invest it. Now, maybe you invest in a, in a tax-free municipal bond paying 2.8% because then you're not going to pay any tax on the interest and dividends along the way, right? So we could go on and on about how all of this works, and it will work for you. Guaranteed, the numbers don't lie. You ran the numbers. You're an engineer. However, real life gets in the way for most people. They do not have the discipline. They are not go- they're going to take it early. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to spend it. So does it make more sense for the average person to delay Because most people are not fiscally prepared for retirement. They don't have nearly enough money to live the lifestyle that they're accustomed to. Absolutely nowhere close. So our advice is to say, well, most people are going to be hurting and struggling, so might as well push this thing out to try to get the most money they possibly can from the system so they can have some sort of dignity within their retirement. If they take it early, guess what? They're going to not save it. They're going to spend it. And now they're going to be stuck for the rest of their life with a permanent haircut within the overall benefit. That is why we look at delaying the benefit as long as possible for most people. Also, the taxation of Social Security is tax favored. So if I can delay that, get a higher benefit as a longevity insurance type contract, and also receive a tax benefit by doing that, I like that as well. I'd much rather take money from a 401k plan that is taxed awful first and delay the the overall benefits. So put some tax equations in there along the way. I like how you said, all right, well, if I get this 20% tax, bracket, but then start looking at how is Social Security going to be taxed when you start taking distributions? How is the interest and dividends going to be taxed if you do save it on your 2.8 or 3.3, 5.5%? So you can really start getting in the weeds on all this stuff. And and right now, it's a perfect time to do it, Matt, because I was just in Minnesota last week and it was like 20 below zero. I live in Southern California and I get cold now at like 60 degrees. I was dying. It was absolutely awful. What does that have to do with it being a good time to do that? Because this? he's going to be sitting in his house. Gotcha, okay. It's too damn cold to do, <laughs> to do anything. So he can grind on his spreadsheets and figure this stuff out. Okay, uh, let's go to Tim from San Diego. Okay. He goes, hello, Joe and Big Al. I really appreciate your show and your responses to the questions submitted. I have one on Social Security. I'm holding off on collecting Social Security until my wife reaches full retirement age. I will be 69. When she's at full retirement age, I understand that she will get 50% of my Social Security. She's a quarter shy of her own benefit as her health prevented her from working. What I'm not sure about is this. I heard you say. I think I heard you say. Oh, I think I heard you say. uh, She gets 50% of my full benefit. Does that mean she will get 50% of the amount I get when I claim at age 69? Or 50% of what my benefit was when I was 66. In other words, does the amount she gets 50% freeze at what I would originally receive if took at age 66? Thank you. Does Uh, that make sense to you? Yes, it does. So here's what Tim is asking. You have different choices to claim your Social Security benefit. You could claim it as early as age 62, or you could wait until age 70. So at 62, you're going to receive a haircut. He's 69. So if he did claim at 62, he'd receive roughly 75% of the benefit. But he's claiming at 69. 
So let's just assume it's a thousand dollars a month. Okay. If he claimed at full retirement age, it would have been a thousand, but now he's sixty nine. He's claiming at twelve hundred. So he's asking because his wife is going to claim the spousal benefit. The spousal benefit means she's going to claim on his record, record. right? Yeah. And so is she going to receive five hundred dollars? Which is half, half of the thousand if he would have claimed that or is she gonna get six hundred or is she gonna get sixty yeah, six hundred. And most people get this wrong. They think if I push out my social security benefit to age sixty nine or seventy, then my spouse is gonna receive a lot larger spousal benefit. And the answer is false. The spousal benefit is based on your full retirement age, Tim. And she needs to claim that at her full retirement age to get 50% of what your full retirement age benefit is. She could claim a spousal benefit as early as age 62 if she wanted to. However, she would not receive 50% of the benefit at Tim's full retirement age. She would have received like 33% of it, right? Because she's going to get a haircut because she took it at 62 versus 66. Right. But on the flip side, let's say Tim takes his benefit at age 62, so instead of getting $1,000 a month, he was going to get $750 a month. So as long as his wife waited till her full retirement age, she's going to get 50% of the $1,000, even though Tim claimed early. As long as she waits until her full retirement age, you said? Yes. Okay. The factor is, based on Tim's full retirement age, and then when the spouse claims the spousal benefit. So it doesn't matter when Tim claims his benefit at all. It's always going to be based on his full retirement age. That's the factor. And then they're going to look at when the spouse claims the spousal benefit. And if she waited to age 70 to claim the spousal benefit, she's not going to receive a a higher benefit. It's not going to do her any good. It's not going to do her any good. So she needs to claim right away. We found that mistake along the way as well. Just so so long as he has claimed is when she can start. He needs to claim for her to be able to claim the spousal. All right. That, That was a mouthful. Nicely done, though. We got April. She writes in in Chicago, little shy town. I started receiving restricted spousal benefits from Social Security in 2019 with plans to wait until 70 to take my personal Social Security benefits. It appears, however, that I can no longer get an annual report with projected benefits upon turning 70. When I go to Social Security, only shows my current spousal benefits. I can use the last reports I receive, but this seems in insufficient. Sufficient. Any suggestions? I got nothing for you. <laughs> I got nothing. Not one even remotely thing comes to mind. So she should just continue estimating based on what her last report. Yeah, I mean, said. who gives? I mean, what? The, it's like it's. Who cares? She if wants you're to off? put it in her spreadsheet. <laughs> I know she does. April, go out and spend that money. Don't worry. I mean, <laughs> unless you're like super concerned to the penny. If that were the case, I don't think you'd take the restricted benefits by take what a restricted application is. She's receiving half of her spouse's benefits, which is 50% of the spouse, like we just talked about yep. in our last question. But she has her own record. So she's deferring, she's delaying her own. She's waiting to 70. To 70 to turn her benefit on. So she's double so dipping hers is here. All, hers is bigger. Otherwise, she wouldn't be bothering. Correct. Yep. And she, she qualifies because of her age. This strategy's gone. 
right? Restricted applications, file and suspend, blah, 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 blah. Uh, because of the strategy that all of us advisors were giving to our clients to maximize their overall benefits, Social Security got wind of this really good strategy. And they were like, no, let's, let's, let's nip that in the bud. Yeah, let's, let's stop that. So, April, I don't know what the hell to tell you, to be honest with you. I think you're really anal like Big Al. Like, you know, and all the engineers. Do you, like, Alan, if, if we have something numbered one through six, and he you must try go to, it, it, he has to go through all six. And if you skip five and go to, to six, just because five might have been just kind of like a, a dull question or a dull statement, yeah, he freaks out. <laughs> So April's probably looking for to the penny um, what the benefit's going to be. You already know what your full retirement age benefits are, hopefully, but from older statements. Then I would use the 8% delayed retirement credit with on that, and then maybe put in a 1% COLA in your spreadsheet, and then kind of go from there. So there um, you go. You did have a suggestion for Yeah, that's what I would do. Or just go to the Social Security. and You know what you do, April? I'm sure the weather in Chicago is really nice. <laughs> go to your local Social Security. You know, get outside. Um, and go to your your local Social Security office and sit there for hours. That and then, sounds like a ball. And then you meet this person that probably doesn't really truly understand your strategy because it's no longer there. And you're going to have to explain to them what the restricted application is. And then from there, you're saying, no, I'm taking spousal benefits. I'm letting mine delay. And then you're going to spend another hour just explaining your overall strategy because they might be a little bit confused because you can no longer do a restricted application. And then you're going to have to talk to another person and then ask for that person's supervisor. (laughs) And then you'll probably get the statement. And you still might get the wrong answer. Yeah. You could do that. That's an option. Or um, you can just do that 8% per year and 1% COLA. Yeah, call yeah. it good. Right? And the, I meant no disrespect to our fine workers at the Social Security Administration. Because you know they're all listening. But it's a known fact that they cannot give advice, first of all. Just like you. Right. They're not there to give advice. They're there to give you whatever answers that they can they can give you. And you're doing somewhat of a complex strategy. A lot of times, in, if that strategy is not there anymore because we had to talk to by just my own experience talking to workers at social security we had to go through many many people just to make sure because the clients would go to the office then they would come back and they would say joe you're lying to me you know that you're wrong and i was like no i'm not wrong They're social like, security's wrong social security's wrong how yeah. could that be yeah. no she just wants to know what her own benefit is so she goes to ssa.gov and it's just saying well no you're already claiming your benefits there's a spousal benefit blah, blah, you know and she's like well no i get that but so i want to know what my benefit is are they still calculating what my benefit is going to be so they've even changed the system on ssa.gov to do away with the ability to estimate with that strategy probably that's crazy because you cannot use the strategy anymore more. So, April, appreciate the question. Hopefully you find the answer. We're deep in the email bag. We, we got, are. We're like on page five. Yeah. We got uh, one from Ricky uh, from Birmingham, Alabama. Ricky writes in. He goes, to protect assets from Medicaid, is it a good idea to move 401k money to a revocable living trust? Great podcast, so keep them coming. Uh, Ricky, No. That's not a very good idea. Why not? Well, first of all, a revocable living trust does nothing to protect your assets from Medicaid because you are still the owner of those assets. And if you're trying to do like a Medicaid strategy to hide assets so you qualify, Uh um, that's kind of illegal. (laughs) 
Uh, they have look-back periods uh-huh. um, of five years, so whatever you're trying to do to move assets around, you got to know five years in advance of when you're going to, let's say, go to a long-term care facility um, or know when you're going to get sick five years in advance. So it's a gamble and it's immoral. Uh, yeah. <laughs> If Ricky did, like a revocable living trust avoids probate. That's all that does. So you're titling assets, um, such as your home, um, your brokerage account, whatever, anything outside of a retirement account in the name of the living trust. And it's an entity that when you pass away, the successor trustee kind of takes over, right? So if you consider yourself the CEO of your own family business, you would name a vice president, mm-hmm. right? So when you pass away, the vice president steps in to become CEO. But you have a list of rules and laws that have to be abide by when you're gone. Mm-hmm. So the vice president is really not acting as CEO. He's just acting as an interim CEO to finish up what your wish list is. Right. And it avoids the whole probate process. If you do not have any type of documentation to put your assets in this entity, right, you might have a will, but the will goes through probate. And the, the judge goes, oh, here's the will. X amount of dollars is going to go to Joe. X amount is going to go to Andy. And then right then there's probate court costs and attorney costs and things like that. And it's long and it's inefficient and expensive. Public record, all sorts of negative things by going through the probate process. A living trust avoids that entirely. Ricky, what you're trying to do is hide assets so you can qualify for Medicaid if there's some sort of medical event. And you want to take your 401k and move it into a revocable living trust. If you did that, it would be 100% taxable. So you take all of your money out of your 401k plan, pay 100% ordinary income tax on that distribution. You put it in your revocable living trust. And then you think, all right, I, I did this. I saved the my, my assets. You just you, you killed yourself is basically what you did because you lost probably half of it to taxes. Now it's in a revocable living trust. Now you go to your long-term care facility, and all those assets are going to be subject to the Medicare spend-down. So don't do it, Ricky. So it's not only immoral and illegal and risky, it's also expensive. And it's really stupid. That, there you go. Right. Not, not that Ricky is stupid. He the, was just the strategy, the idea. The strategy is bad. Right. Because it's not going to do it. You need an irrevocable trust is what you need to do. So you're gifting the assets to an irrevocable trust. You are not the owner of those assets anymore. But in a 401k, you're still going to end up you're paying You're still going to yeah, get right? your, ass, um, your assets <laughs> uh, lost to, to, Nicely to, done. to, to taxes. <laughs> Good right? save. Yes. So no, don't do it, Rick. Do not do that strategy. If you're worried about like Medi-Cal or, or Medicaid cost or long-term care and things like that, it's called a Medicaid spend down for a reason. They're going to spend out all your assets. Your spouse is going to have a couple of bucks that she can live off of if you're married. But that's why planning is so important before you do get sick. One excellent way to get a jump on that planning is to download and fill out our estate plan organizer from the podcast show notes so that your loved ones will have all the information they need in the event something happens to you. It's divided into 14 sections ranging from the names and contact information of your advisors to your account details, insurance policies, and final wishes. Collect all of the relevant information, put it in the organizer, tell your loved ones where they can find it or make sure they've got a copy, and don't forget to update it regularly with any changes. 
You can get the estate plan organizer from the podcast show notes by clicking the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app. I've crammed the show notes with other helpful free financial resources as well, like the Social Security Handbook, our blog post on the difference between Medicaid and Medicare, and podcast episode number 226, which is the Medicare Beginner's Guide, What You Need to Know Now. While you're there in the show notes, click the Ask Joe and Big Al on-air banner to send in your money questions. Speaking of Social Security and Medicare, Big Al Clopine rejoins us now to answer this next question from Susan in San Diego. So Susan writes in, my total income for 2018 was $162,000, including $9,000 of tax-exempt interest. My Jessica gross income was $162,400. My taxable income was $148,000. I'm 67 and retired. Single on Social Security and Medicare. Social Security added together my adjusted total income plus the tax-exempt interest to get MAGI of 171. This calculation places me in a higher tier for Medicare Part B premiums as well as for Part D premiums. I contend that the interest income has already been added to get my adjusted gross income. What is the proper calculation? So what she's trying to figure out, she's got tax-exempt interest from municipal bonds, and she's trying to figure out, all right, well, if I have total income of 162000 plus another $9,000 of tax-exempt interest to get me to 171000 but my taxable income after my deduction is 148000 Sure. What the hell is all these numbers? You know, what, what, what am I going to pay? <laughs> Which one do I use? Yes. So easy enough. So modified adjusted gross income is what MAGI stands for. And so we've got these charts on, uh, on how much you have to pay for your Medicare premiums based upon your income, but it's actually a two-year look back. Right, so the question as it as it pertains, this is uh, 2018, so we're really talking about what the fees are going to be in 2020, which is the year yes, we're sir. in. So here we go. So she's single, and if her adjusted gross income is 162 plus you add the tax exempt interest to that 171, that is the number you use when you go to the table, and on that number, that's between 160 uh, and 180. I'm sorry, 160 and 500,000. So uh, Medicare premium for, well, this is... Uh, that's 2019. That's 2019. I'm a year behind. Anyway, so it's, it's going to be a little over $400, but that's how you compute it. Is it's basically your adjusted gross income plus your tax-exempt interest that didn't make it to the front of your tax return. So she's asking, what number do I use? What's the proper calculation? The proper calculation of adjust, um, modified adjusted gross in her situation is total income added back in um, what tax-exempt income. Yeah, so 162 is her adjusted gross income. Add the tax-exempt income of about 9000 to get to 171 That's the figure that she used. All right. Are you ready for this one? I, I am. Steve from New York. Let's Stevie, 403B. To Roth Conversion. Hey, Joe and Big Al. Love the show. See? That's a really good way to start. It is. Steve, really good way. It, uh, it will actually read your question when you do that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> we missed this. <laughs> I'm looking for advice on a Roth conversion. I have about 90K in an old 403B. I was considering converting 40,000 of it to a Roth in 2020. 
I'm in the 24% tax bracket and understand the taxes owed would be about $9,600 and I have the cash to pay it. My question, is it worth it to do the conversion? If it helps, I have over a million dollars in 401ks and we have over 300000 in Roths already and I'm 49 years old. Thanks and keep up the good work. Steve, the answer is absolutely yes. <laughs> Convert 90 grand. Well, convert what you can afford, right? He's got he's forty nine now. He's got way more money than you. <laughs> You're sure of that? <laughs> I don't know. You do have the big big wallet. I do agree with you though. Surprisingly, so Joe. right. Well, okay. So he's forty nine. So he's young. Yeah. Um, he's got over a million dollars in a retirement account. He's got three hundred thousand in Roths now. He's got. Ninety thousand dollars in a four hundred three b. She can. I wonder where he's coming up with forty. If that's the top of the twenty four percent tax bracket, Steve, then I would probably stop there and convert the rest next year. But, um, yeah, I would definitely do the conversion. It absolutely makes sense. Why does it make sense, Al? Yeah, here's the math. So you got a million bucks right now already in your retirement accounts, and. Uh, if you just let them grow at 7% for 10 years, they'll double. So that's two. That's two. But and now he's 60. And you're going to be adding more to it. And let's say you work till 65, you could have two and a half or $3 million. I'm going to say $3 because it's super easy math. He's going to have four. Okay, I'm going to say three, just to be conservative. Okay. So $3 million in so a So he's an got IRA. a million now. Yeah. He's, he's, how old is he? 50. So he's got 20 years. Yeah, if he works till 70. I'm guessing he'll retire before then. RMDs are 72. So. Yes. Yeah, and who knows whether he'll be spending it before. But I'm just going to say $3 million RMD is about 4%, about. So that's 120000 of income, plus Social Security, which let's just say the taxable part of Social Security be another forty, fifty thousand. dollars um, Who knows? I mean, I don't know if he's married or not, but let's just say let's just say another fifty grand, right? So now we're at one hundred seventy grand of income, and that's without including any other income from other investments. And a standard deduction... Uh, you will be uh, in the 25 or 28% tax bracket when the old tax brackets come back. So to convert in the 24 makes sense, plus all that tax-free growth for all that period of time, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. So we don't really know what the hell tax brackets are going to be in 20 years, Steve, but we're, I guess, guessing, speculating. We don't speculate on stocks, but God, we speculate on tax rates, Al. <laughs> I mean, we're hypocrites. <laughs> well, we don't. No, we don't really speculate. I, I quoted the actual law. The actual law is the old tax brackets come back in 2026. So I'm just I'm going off of that information. So okay, well, what did you use for taxable income? I said income's 170. Let's take let's 150. Let's, let's take 30. So 140. Okay, well, what's the present value? 140. Call it two percent. 20 years. Yeah, probably a hundred. Okay, so 100, he'll be in the 25% tax bracket if yep. he is single. Yeah. So convert the 24 still makes sense. That's what I'm saying. Yep. All right, Steve, that's what we do here. We give good answers sometimes now, the other to th- really good questions. The other thing, if you want to speculate, do I think tax rates will go up, go down, or stay the same in the future? If I'm guessing, now I get to speculate for a second, yeah. I think they're going to be higher in the future because of our national debt. That's my Ooh, prediction. Political. <laughs> <laughs> Big L's getting political. Yeah, there's a lot of things. I, I think tax rates are going to go up as well. We've been saying that for a while. What do they do? They go down. <laughs> All right. Hey, if you want to get really bad advice, here's the number to call. We got John from San Diego. Love the show. Way to go, John. That's how you open up an email. 
it's only oh, it's one of only two podcasts I listen to. Wow! All right, That's, I feel well, honored. Or he probably just doesn't really listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I wonder what the other one is. It's a, it's a real show. <laughs> it's not like ours. Oh, I wonder what the other show is, John. You're cheating. And on whether us. or not it's financial. I, guaranteed, it's not. <laughs> Uh, we just got a 401k at work with a Roth 401k option. Uh, from past episodes, I understand I can roll the 401k Roth into a Roth IRA immediately if the plan allows. I looked for this one on the IRS website. Couldn't find it. Also, can I contribute the full 19.5 from my savings, or must the contribution come from my paycheck each pay period? Thank you. Uh, all right. So he's got a 401k option at his employer. The the full amount to contribute to a 401k has to come from your paycheck. Yes. Yeah, the only the only exception is if you're self-employed, right? Sole proprietor, then you can actually make a pay. You can just write a check. But uh, when you're an employee, yeah, it has to come from the paycheck. So, yeah, if you had a solo 401k. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. what what What's he looking at? Some website or something? IRS website. Yeah, he wants he wants to know can he roll his his four hundred one k Roth into a Roth IRA immediately if the plan allows. The answer is yes, if the plan allows. But the IRS wouldn't know what the hell the plan's doing. Not, right. Yeah, so that's why you couldn't find it on the on the <laughs> website. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna order a Domino's pizza, but I'm gonna order it through Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> they know pretty much what Domino's is. <laughs> yeah, you're just, you're asking someone else to do someone else's job here. John. So, in other words, contact your HR, HR. department. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Not the IRS. Yeah. Because we always do have so many questions about Roth IRA conversions, I've added a number of Roth IRA resources in the podcast show notes. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to get access. Sorry, no pizza from either Domino's or Chuck E. Cheese, but you can read our blog posts on making Roth conversions and everything you need to know about IRAs. You can download the Roth IRA Basics Guide, listen to the podcast on determining the break-even point on Roth conversions, and for Dave coming up here next, check out Joe and Big Al's video on Roth 401k versus traditional 401k from way back in podcast number 198. All right, Roth 401k or traditional. Um, hi, Joe and Al. This is Dave from Oregon. All right. Hey, Dave. Go Ducks. Thanks for producing my favorite podcast. God, that makes me feel good. My well, question is around what? I was going to say Andy produces it. I know. But You're welcome, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the thanks. Yeah, there's no mention of Andy whatsoever here. Um, my question is around Roth 401k and traditional. I'm 55 and plan to retire in 10 years. The majority of my savings is pre-tax now. My wife and I are currently making $300,000 annually and estimate will retire with around $2 bucks. Based on a 4% burn rate, which matches our estimated retirement income needs, we'll be living on $80,000 from savings and we'll draw Social Security when we hit 70. Since this is considerably less than our current income, we'll be in a much lower bracket in retirement. Does it still make sense to do a Roth 401k now? I'm thinking it would be better to max out traditional now and then do Roth conversions when we're in a lower tax bracket in retirement. Thanks for your thoughts. Okay. He's 55. They're making $300,000. Um, when they retire, 
they'll have around $2 million. So he doesn't have $2 million now. He wants to retire in 10 years, so I'm guessing he's got a $1 million in retirement accounts. Right. Most of it pre-tax. That's probably right. And he's saying, okay, well, we're going to retire at 65. He's going to push off Social Security to age 70. So that's going to give him a window from age 65 to 70 where he can do conversions in a very low tax bracket. So he's the question is, should he do con- or uh, 401k Roth contributions now? Right. What do, you, what do you think? Well, I, I think you answered. I think the, the best time, uh, I, I think you're in a high tax bracket, although I, I'm going to come back to that in one second. But generally, you're in a high tax bracket. The tax deduction is going to mean more to you right now. You're going to be in a pretty low bracket between when you retire and age 70. That would be the best time to take what you have in your 401k and your IRA and do conversions. Now, I'm going to say one other thing, though, and that is 300000 annually minus even a standard deduction for a married couple. That's a taxable income of two seventy five, which, believe it or not, is in the 24% tax minus bracket. Minus another $50,000, let us say, if they're both fully funding the that's 401k true. plan. 24% tax bracket. Given the amount that's going to be in your required uh, in your IRA plus Social Security, and I don't know what else you have, you may be in the 25% bracket in retirement. So, right. so you may actually consider it right now. Yeah, I think so. You're going to have... <clears throat> um, I, I'm a big believer that if... Especially contributions into a Roth, right? I mean, I used to rant on this forever. I go 100% Roth 401k. I don't care what bracket I'm in. Because I'm not going to miss the tax deduction that I would have gotten. So, okay, um, Dave, so you put in the Roth 401k, you max that thing out, right? And over the next 10 years, what's 25,000 payment, 10 years, 7%? It's. Okay, 25,000 payment. Yep, 7%. 10 years. Okay. Starting with zero? Yeah. Just to see what that is. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Several hundred. That's 345. Okay. $350,000 that you're going to have in a Roth IRA, right? Versus having that $350,000 additional into your 401k. That's all pre-tax. That all has to come out. I guarantee you, when you retire at age 65 and you see that three hundred fifty or $400,000 in a Roth, you're going to come back and you're going to be like, God, I am so glad I wrote in and listened to Joe and Big Al. And Al talked about the tax brackets, but Joe just gave me the common sense to say, you know what, I'm going to have a lot of money sitting in a Roth IRA. And then the few thousand dollars that you could have saved a few years ago in taxes, you would have spent that money anyway. Now you just paid yourself a nice big fat tax-free nest egg. So I don't go with the Roth. I don't necessarily disagree with that because the income's three hundred thousand. If it were six hundred thousand, I would say just the opposite. Well, yeah, go if for, you had income go, like Big Al, go for the go for the deduction. <laughs> um, and yeah. that's because you're in the twenty-four percent bracket. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully that answers your question, Dave. Hey, thanks a lot. Um, and thank Andy for producing your favorite podcast. But this podcast would not be anything without me. <laughs> the great That's one. Absolutely true. <laughs> oh, great one. Thank you for being here. I'm kidding. Something interesting happened last week, Al, while you were um while you were watching golf. <laughs> yes. We got this complaint. Oh. And then I read it on the air. Because I like complaints more than compliments, yes. it seems like. Well, right. I think I like them both. Yeah. We don't get too many complaints, so it's kind of fun. Right. And the guy goes, yeah, this, I'm 
we're, too we're slow and annoying. Too slow and, and annoying. Big Al's mean and <laughs> no, I did say that's that. actually not in there. <laughs> um, so yeah, the guy writes in, and then he goes, "I heard the following comment read out on the show today, January 18th, Tuesday. I apologize for this. I meant to write this bad review for some other podcast. Oh, wasn't it even almost a sounds like us like trying to make this <laughs> stuff up. I wrote that on the golf course. <laughs> Accidentally wrote." It for your podcast, capitalist letter, sincere apologies. Please read this on your podcast so your audience will also know. Okay, so that was Cheatham, Chetham. Then Sam writes in too. Yeah, okay. He's like, Hey, I've been listening to your show for a while after finding it through Paul Merriman in his podcast, but I felt as though I must write to come to your defense and offer a possible solution after hearing from Cheatham in last week's episode. Okay. I disagree with him on the unnecessary distractions and the repetition. I've thoroughly enjoyed the program and content in its presentation. Keep it up. Regarding the talking too slowly, that would be Big Al, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's definitely not you. He's getting older. I'm I'm going as fast as I can. Sam didn't say that. Joe said that. He goes, I suggest the following... Um, on my iPhone, you can select the speed from one times, one and a half times, or two times. On the bottom left on the app to increase the speed at which the podcast is played. So here's my suggestion. When I'm talking, speed it up. Yep. When Joe's talking, slow it down. This Th- will help. Then, that'll be perfect. This will help with the pace, but um, may do nothing to improve his opinion on your annoying voice. <laughs> <laughs> I do have an annoying voice, Sam. Thank you very much. Have you ever tried to listen to a podcast on one and a half or two times? I, no. When I get done doing that, I feel like I'll jittery. <laughs> it, it stresses me out to listen to them that fast. Really? So I'll talk really slow yeah, so that when you play it <laughs> So back, yeah, when you play it fast, then it just sounds... Normal. It's perfect. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to clear the air there. Uh, that's it for us today. I appreciate you hanging out. We'll see you again next week. Show's got your money you want. If you'd like to hear Joe nearly die of laughter, stick around to the very end of this episode for the derails. And now for the disclosure, the derails contain no relevant or useful financial information. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. You can click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner via video web meeting or in person at one of our four offices in Southern California. And now for the real disclosure. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Where did the lost episodes go? I have no idea. Those were gone long before I got here. I know that they aired on radio, but I don't know if they ever were on the podcast. Because the ones that we have go back to 2016. But you guys have been doing the show since 1802, so. Yes, we've been doing the show since... I forgot the first name. Retirement. It was called something else? Yeah. Really? The Retirement Minute Show. I don't know. Was it only a minute long? No, it was really bad. (laughs) It was really bad. Yeah, Al and I worked at a different firm before the existence of Pure Financial Advisors. Well, that's probably why we don't have them. No, no, no. But then we started, I started Your Money, Your Wealth back in 2007. 
Yes. Man, I would love to hear some of those. Yeah. How are you? Were you good? I was phenomenal. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I was exactly the same. Horrible. Wow. Awful. <laughs> so 2007. So we've been doing the show since 2007. It is 2019. Or 2020. 2020. Jeez. <laughs> okay. So, you yeah. still writing 2019 on I your get, checks? Yes. Where the hell were you? Yeah. Well, I, I volunteered for a couple organizations. One, I volunteered at the, uh, the Farmers uh, Open, Insurance Open. Uh, that was the Troy Pines Golf Tournament. And then the second thing I did earlier this week, as a matter of fact, was I built homes for, I built a home with a team for um, Home is for Hope. Just like um, Where? Wheels, Wheels. Yeah. <laughs> But I actually really did it. Where? where? In uh, Rosarita, next to Tijuana. Nice. There were two teams where mostly financial planners got together, and we built two homes in two days. So, Alan. But what, something happened last week, you were going to say. Yeah, you went, while you were at uh, the Farmer's Open. Yeah. Watch Tiger Woods. Yes. I don't really call that volunteering. That was just having fun. Yeah, but the money goes to charity. <laughs> so in a roundabout way. Okay. What money goes... Uh, no, the, the farmers. Yeah, the farmers. The, the money raised by the tournament through the Century Club goes to charities around San Diego. What what, what are you talking about? Just take my word for it. That's the, the, the money for the tickets and the concessions, uh, after all expenses are paid, goes to the Century Club, which gives the money to local charities. Oh, okay. So it is volunteering. Remember, guess, we, we used to have one of our associates listen to books on tape, double speed. Oh, like ten times. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, I finished this ten thousand page novel in four minutes." It's like, wow. <laughs> it's like, I, and, and what he'd tell us, his hair was all up and. But I guarantee you, he didn't comprehend anything. I know. I'm aware of that. <laughs> he said, "I read three books this weekend." <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? Yes, I do. <laughs> I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think you just wanted to break it as cocktail party. I think so. Yeah, I'm reading about six books this week. <laughs> six books a week. That's what <laughs> one, one a day on the week, on three of the week and three each weekend. <laughs> he doesn't miss sleep too. He goes like five feet. <laughs> These are my favorite segments when you guys just fall apart. <laughs> It's subliminal. <laughs> oh, I mean, we used to hear those stories. Yes. And then we'd ask him about the book. Well, it was, that was a couple books ago. <laughs> I to figure I sort of forget that one. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, but... We would look at each other. We we're like, "Oh God!" I tried uh, on his tip. I tried one. <laughs> I didn't understand a word. I tried. Exactly. I tried it's dub- like pig Latin. Well, I tried double speed, and that was nuts. So I tried 150. I still couldn't really understand it. 